Hello and welcome to another episode of Tactical Edge. I'm Siobhan Cleveland, Earth Air Force Public Affairs. Today we have a special guest from Air Force Headquarters at the Pentagon, Lieutenant General Hynout, who is the Deputy Chief of Staff for Strategy, Integration, and Requirements, and Major General Jeffrey Pennington, Commander of 4th Air Force. Thank you both so much for being here today. Hey, thank you, Siobhan. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. So General Hynote, um, we'll start off with you. Most of our audience has spent the majority of their time, um, their career in wings and units within the Air Force Reserve, and they may not fully understand the role at headquarters level. Can you take a few minutes to explain your position and role at the Pentagon? Of course, and, and it, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that it, it involves, but it, so, so in general, I get to lead the team of the Air Force called Air Force Futures, and what our job is is to be the voice of tomorrow's airmen. You know, there are lots of folks out there who are the voice of today's airmen, and they're thinking about the budget and the way that we're doing logistics, fixing aircraft, flying them, and and all that. You got to do that. That's really really important. We have a great Air Force because people do a lot of work behind the scenes making that happen. But there needs to be somebody out there who is the advocate for the future Air Force, the Air Force that will be. And uh, you can think of the young airmen that are going through BMT right now at Lackland. You could think of uh, our cadets at the Air Force Academy, uh, ROTC, OTS, uh, the ways that we're getting them in. And even the, uh, the young people that are in grade school, uh, they, you know, they, they need somebody helping them in their time defend the country and create that Air Force. And I always tell our folks, you know, I take a lot of inspiration from the folks uh, who came before me and who, when I was in grade school, were trying to build a better Air Force for me. A great example of this is a, is a colonel named Moody Souter. Uh, with Souter Hall is a, is a famous building right now at Nellis Air Force Base. It's where Red Flag is headquartered. And there's a good reason for that, because Moody Souter uh, had the idea for Red Flag. And he took it around the Pentagon and got a lot of doors closed in on him uh, for uh, and got a lot, a lot of no's uh, from some high ranking people and, and some don't ever come around here again. And uh, and he kept on and, and he because he believed in the idea that if we created realistic training for our uh, our operators, that they would, if you, if you sweated more in peacetime, you would bleed less in combat. And because of him, I got my first 10 combat missions at Red Flag and not in a real combat scenario. And I, I appreciate that. So we are the part of the staff and I get a chance to be that voice who are trying to do the same thing for tomorrow's airmen. So we think about the capabilities that they're going to need, the concepts that they're going to need. We try to integrate that with the strategy of the Department of Defense. And, and we think about an overall design of the Air Force for the future, for them, for, for the airmen that will fight on our behalf in the future when we're all gone and, and, uh, and hopefully enjoying some, uh, some time after, uh, after our careers in the Air Force. So it's a, it's a great honor to be able to lead this team and to be able to be that voice in the Pentagon for those airmen. Thank you for that introduction, sir. Uh, General Pennington, I believe you have some, some topics that you'd like to discuss with General Hino. A few questions for him? A few questions for him? 
Hey, yes, Siobhan, thank you. And uh, General Highnote, thanks for that quick overview of, of your role in the Air Force. It's going to tie right into my next series of questions uh, for our listeners. The first thing, you know, with, uh, the senior leadership changes out uh, at, from time to time. And over this past year, we got a new Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and so I, I'm pretty sure what we were what we were going to talk about is, uh, you know, what are what are Secretary Kendall's priorities and and kind of where are we going and and all that. Let me let me take a little step back and uh, and talk a little bit about where we are as a Department of Defense right now. So of course we had an administration change. We have a new Secretary of Defense, um, <clears throat> new president, obviously, uh, and there is going to be a new national security strategy in the next several months. And it, do I think it's going to be huge changes in our strategic direction? I, I, I don't. I, I think that you'll see a lot of familiar things. But I also believe that you're going to see a new national defense strategy come out. And uh, I, what do I think you will see from that? I, I think you'll see a renewed focus on China as our pacing challenge. And when uh, when when Secretary Kendall says, and he he gave a a big speech at the uh, Air Force Association's uh, Space and uh, and Air Conference uh, this last September, and he said, you know, people ask me what my priorities are, and I'd say China, China, and China. And uh, so so he he is absolutely focused on having the United States Air Force and the United States Space Force be as ready as possible to deter China. And if we had to fight, we of course don't want to fight, but if we had to fight, we'd be able to prevail in that. And so that requires us to change. We have been focused so much in the last several years on the uh, on the fights in the Middle East. And I it, just a few years ago, I was in Baghdad and helping to fight the ISIS there. And uh, of course, the, the, we just got uh, through with some of the uh, operations in Afghanistan. And, uh, and, you know, we've been really focused on that as an Air Force for, for the right reasons. And the, uh, what's going to happen now is that focus is really going to shift. And, you know, you've been reading about it, you've been hearing about it, and it's going to become very real under the leadership of Secretary Kendall and General Brown. So they are, uh, they are absolutely focusing in uh, us on China as the pacing challenge. And the, uh, the Secretary has given us uh, some management imperatives and some operational imperatives. And, and I am very familiar with the operational imperatives. So I'll go through those with you just real fast as we think about kind of where we go. But the operational imperatives are, are number one, we have to have a resilient space architecture. You can't, you can't uh, have a, a very brittle architecture in space. Uh, it, our space architecture was not built to withstand attack. And you may be seeing some uh, some some uh, news even today on our uh, our potential adversaries being able to attack us in space. So we have to be resilient to that. We have to be able to defend and and be able to to withstand any sort of attack that they might give. So uh, number two is the idea of commanding and controlling and being able to communicate across all the domains. But for the Air Force, that's the Advanced Battle Management System. That's it's both for the Air and the Space Forces. And we've got to make sure that we can uh, communicate the most important data to the right people at the right time so that we can we can move, we can make decisions and move faster than our adversaries can. The third uh, imperative is, um, is going to be uh, 
making sure that we have the ability to do air superiority. So, uh, so our adversaries, our potential adversaries, have invested well in things that will uh, very be very difficult for us to achieve air superiority. So this would be the uh, integrated air defense systems that they've put out. And so we have to be able to push into those contested areas and create some degree of air superiority uh, for our allies, our partners, and our joint forces. You know, all of our concepts uh, that require us to be able to have some degree of air superiority, i.e., we don't want our people to be attacked by red air. Uh, that's not good, and we're, we're not going to allow that, so we have to get after that part. So the fourth imperative is how do we hit mobile targets, maybe even at long range? So a lot of the targets that we might have to go after uh, in any sort of future scenario are going to be mobile. Why? Because our potential adversaries have invested in mobility. They have uh, they've made sure that they're not just going to stay stationary because they know if they stay stationary against us, they're 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 sitting ducks. And uh, we're we're going to have to be able to find them, track them, and hit them if uh, if that's what's called for. Uh, the number five is going to be, and, and this will get into some of the questions that we're going to have a little bit later, on uh, how can we have the right infrastructure, the right forward posture, the right uh, rearward posture? How can we do logistics and communicate even as we're under attack? So it's this idea of we used to think that it was okay and, and that it was preferred for us to deploy to airfields that are relative sanctuaries. I mean, they're relatively... Uh, free from attack. And, uh, you know, if we did get attacked, it would be just uh, every once in a while and not very effective. And that's not going to be the situation that we have in the future. And so it's going to be really important for us to be able to work through what that means. And then finally, this uh, is the idea of readiness and us being truly ready to transition to combat if we need to. And uh, knowing that the likelihood is, is that the warning times in the future are shorter than they would be uh, in some of the uh, previous scenarios, maybe even some of the assumptions that we've had with our planning. And so we have to know at any one time how ready we are to make that transition from relative peace. I don't want to call it peace. I don't believe in just peace and war. We're, we're always in the state uh, of competition and and uh, hopefully we don't get into armed conflict, but uh, but but going from that relative peace to com combat, if we had to, that's going to be a big part of, uh, of of our force and what it means to fight in the future. And so our secretary wants us to look and see what that really means for readiness. So so those six, uh, resilient space architecture, um, the advanced battle management system, uh, the next generation of air superiority, long range kill chains against mobile targets, uh, uh, infrastructure, posture, logistics, and communications, and then finally, uh, readiness. Those are going to be the things that, that he's got us working on, and the, the chief of staff's action orders fit very well into that framework, and that's what we're doing right now. So as we think about what our contribution is going to be to this pacing challenge, China, those six operational imperatives are going to be the key to it, and that's what we're going to be focusing on for the secretary. Hey, sir, thank you. It's a wonderful overview. And uh, it's going to lead to my next series of questions, you know, and, and just like you outlined there is a 
Desert Shield, Desert Storm veteran, we operated in the logistical world with complete impunity. We just did whatever we wanted at the time and space of our choosing, which as you outlined, uh, the adversary will not likely allow that in a future fight. So if we, if we could tailor the balance of the conversation specifically toward what it means to rapid mobility airmen, because uh, airmen asked me, you know, sir, what does the high-end fight or a peer fight look like? And I kind of start with, uh, and I, I think you and General Parker have talked about the same thing, is how does an airman engage in the fight? How do you get that first aircraft airborne? And what might the initial part of fighting to the fight or logistics under attack look like for our airmen in the future? If you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's going to be a major change for us, right? Because our enemies have done, our potential enemies, have done a really good job of investing against that preferred way of war that we had, where we could deploy to a base and we could set up the base and operate it. We're all used to doing operational readiness inspections where you land and you go to your, you, you know, your operating area and everything. And 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 those weren't easy. Uh, you know, we we did a lot of things with those and but but the way that it's going to work in the future is uh, our our potential opponents have invested in ways to attack us kinetically and non-kinetically in those bases. And so what uh, we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make the mental shift to think of those bases as fighting positions. And we really haven't done that. A lot. And so it's going to be a really important thing for us to make that mental shift first. When you are in the fight, it used to be that, you know, you sent those airplanes into the air and if they were fighters or bombers or whatever, and and they would go into the fight. When you're going to be generating combat power, you're going to be in the fight. And so you're going to have to think of it in a very different way. So what, what that really means for us. So joint protection. We're going to have to figure out ways of protecting ourselves from the attacks that we can expect from our potential opponents. So that means that we have to get much, much better at things like dispersal and deception and redundancy and runway repair. So we have to think of our of our base as uh, as a, almost a fort and you have to be ready for it to go. But in addition to that, we're going to have to be much more mobile. Mobility is a good defense against our opponents. Uh, and so we're going to have to use movement to be able to stay ahead of our opponents. That's going to be hard when you hear things like the agile combat employment concept and everything where we'll we'll go from one airfield to another. And um, and uh, we're working through some ideas on how to make that survivable right now. And I think that that has the potential to help us a lot. As we think about logistics and as we think about rapid global mobility and the ability to get large amounts of logistics into a forward operating area, it's not going to look the same. You're not going to be part. A good example was we just did the the evacuation of Kabul, uh, and uh, the, you know we had it, it was an amazing operation, and I'm so proud of the airmen that were involved. In fact, I just got off the uh, the phone with the uh, commander of the Tactical Airlift Control Center, and uh, his team did an outstanding job. Uh, to, you know, making it, making that entire thing work. But I asked, you know, I, I asked you the question, what would it have been like had the Taliban been lobbing mortars every 30 seconds into the base? It would have looked entirely different. It would not have looked like parking C-17s in nice little rows 
and having lots of time to be able to uh, to to figure out your load plans and everything. I mean, it would have been go go go, get on, get off, and. And in so many ways, if we're going to use some of the airlift assets that we have, we're going to have to use them in a different way. And you're not going to get, you know, three hours to turn an airplane and, you know, unload it and things like that. You're going to have to go much faster than that. And I think over time, as we become uh, an Air Force that is uh, more or less on fixed runways to an Air Force that can operate away from fixed runways, you're going to see some very interesting developments in things like tactical airlift. And this is where you may get to the point where in those in those areas that are contested, you're either using high-speed vertical takeoff and lift or uh, or some sort of, uh, of unmanned aircraft or unmanned platforms. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're thinking about doing logistics in very different ways, maybe even things like on the sea or underwater. So those are all, uh, going to be on the table for us going forward. But the one thing I'd say is don't think of it as C-17 landing at an airfield and lining up in a row. That won't work in the future. And so we're experimenting, we're learning, we're growing with it, and it's going to be an exciting time. I think one of the, the cool things I'm hearing about the experimentation that is going on is the airmen who get to do it love it because they get to do more than just their 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 one little job, right? So, uh, so they they get to do a lot of different things. So if you deploy with one of these units, you're getting to do all sorts of stuff. Uh, and and for a lot of our airmen, especially our best airmen, they love that. And so we call that multi-capable airmen and. Uh, and people are learning how to be uh, be multi-capable in a combat scenario. And they're thinking about their bases in a very different way, thinking of them as fighting positions. Hey, sir, wonderful overview and a lot for folks to think about as they build their, uh, their training plans and get ready. Um, hey, I'd like to expand on that idea a little bit and, and talk about what it might mean now for those assets once they're airborne. You know, you air battle management systems or ABMS and how every aircraft might be a node or participating in that and airmen understanding the uh, duplicity and, uh, and multi-streams of data sharing they might be providing. And then also, uh, if you can talk about it, I think I've read uh, senior leaders talk about potentially palletized music, uh, munitions, which might be a slightly different role than what some of our airlifters are used to in the past. If you could touch on those two things, sure, that'd be great. Yeah, that, no, great yeah. questions. And and so one one of the it, certainly one of the things that we think we're going to have to do is be much more connected than we have been in the past. So, uh, you know, we've always had radios, right? And hopefully if you've ever been to a red flag scenario or something like that, you know, the radio, I mean, everybody's all over the radios and it's very garbled, hard to figure out what's really going on. And our job right now is to be better communicators using machine to machine communication uh, with that. And so uh, in, a, in a large sense, what we expect to happen is that data is going to be available for people to use. And that would include platforms that are in the air. And they're going to be able to pull the data to their platform and display it however they need to display it. Every uh, mission is a little bit different in the needs for the data that they need to see. Uh, but uh, they're going to be able to display it, use it to make decisions off of, use it to fly better and, and to be more effective in their mission. And, uh, and then populate the data back with their sensors, right? And so there's a two-way sense that uh, 
almost every platform that we have is going to be a sensor and almost every platform that we have is going to be a node in the network uh, and doing that airborne is going to be a really big part of, uh, of what combat looks like in the future and then you asked about pilotized munitions and the idea here is that in a major combat scenario where the most important thing we can do is defend our friends, uh, whoever that would be. Uh, in, uh, in Asia, we think a lot about defending Japan. They're an ally of ours. And, uh, in, and you, certainly in Europe, we think a lot about defending NATO because they're allies of ours. And so the, in the earliest part of that scenario, as we do the wargaming and everything, what we find is we just can't get enough bombers in the air. We can't get enough fighters in the air. Uh, you know, it, you never run out of, uh, of use cases for these assets, right? And so one of the things that we, because I just said, you're not going to be lining up C-17s on the ground, especially in the earliest part of the conflict. Well, why wouldn't you use some of that capacity to bring more fires to the front lines uh, and, and maybe to complete a few more kill chains. And so what we've looked at has been, it's actually a program called Rapid Dragon uh, being put forth by the Air Force Research Laboratory, but it's the idea that we could use C-17s or C-130s and use them for what they're good for, which is carrying weight and uh, and use that weight carrying capacity. And they're also really good and they, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to refit them for this. They do airdrop. And so we combine the weight carrying and the airdrop capabilities. And what you expect to happen is that a munition comes out the back, it's airdropped out the back, it wakes up and then it, 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 it lights up and flies to its target. And because it is, uh, it is something that could increase our capacity of fires, it has a potential, especially in the earliest parts of a conflict, to really turn things around. And that's what we'd like to explore there. And that's the whole idea behind palletized munitions. And yes, for some of our crews who, uh, you know, have, have been thinking that, you know, we're going to be, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're going to be delivering cargo. Uh, well, you, you, you may be delivering cargo, but it may be munitions that you're delivering. It's not all that different from delivering airborne troops, right? Uh, I mean, they, those are weapons too. And, uh, and, and except for we're going to make sure that you fly in, that you're protected, you get the munitions out the back and you get out. And it has some really interesting use cases. And certainly we've seen in our gaming, it can really make a difference in the earliest part part of these really complex scenarios. Yeah, well, sir, once again, wonderful overview on, uh, on, on thinking of the future and how we might uh, leverage our talent at Airmen. We're, we're, we're drawing close on time for today, but uh, you touched on a lot of things that uh, if you or General Parker might have time in the future, we'll, we'll jump you back in for maybe a short series here and kind of get into some theater-specific challenges and also maybe some specific capabilities and how we can better integrate uh, rapid global mobility into the joint fight and train our joint partners on those expectations. But, uh, some fantastic uh, wisdom for us today to think about. And uh, I sure want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, sir. I, I've, learned I've learned a lot today. Um, <laughs> um, did you have any final thoughts, sir? Uh, General Hino, before we let you go? No, I just I, I don't just want to say thanks and to all the uh, all the airmen uh, of Fourth Air Force and beyond. Um, we really appreciate you being part of our team. Uh, we we need you. We need we need you to be your best. And we also realize 
how uh, how so many of you are combining different parts of your lives together. It's one of the things that I really appreciate about our reserve component. And it's something that I, actually I'm hoping the rest of the Air Force can learn from you. And, uh, and as we pursue airmen who are going to be good, I, I see a time when almost every airman is going to be both active duty and reservist in some way, right? Over, over their lifetimes, over the span of, of their service. And, uh, and in so many ways, I think that would be really positive for people to have not only the options, but the ability to take something they're working at in their outside life, whatever that looks like, and bring it into the, the service of their country. And, you know, for, for a lot of us who, um, who didn't have the opportunity, I, I went to the Air Force Academy right out of high school, you know, I've been in active duty the whole time. And there have been times when I've really wanted that, that ability to go learn in something else in the outside, you know, not, not in the active duty, and bring it in. Uh, and, uh, and I have, I, I have great respect for the, for, for those of you who are able to do that. We benefit from it. And, uh, and so I just say thank you for that and, um, looking forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you, sir. General Pennington, any final thoughts, sir? Sir. Hey, if, uh, if things don't work out in, in, uh, the A5, we can always use a great recruiter for a reserve command. So. So, so thank you, sir. We, we, we appreciate you big time. Back, back to you, Shimon. All right. Well, thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to, to stop by and speak, speak to the audience of Tactical Edge. That's it for our episode today. Remember, you can stream all previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, Divots, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to get the latest and greatest from the fourth. I'm Shimon Cleveland. Thanks for listening.